0: So I have been um, single 23 years of my life, and I have been married um, 33 years of my life. In the book of Genesis, we find Adam single. We find Adam married. In the book of Genesis, we have Adam um, basically working as a single person, and then we have Adam uh, working as a married person. The Apostle Paul. Uh, when we join Paul his journey, uh, he 's single. Now, what happened to Paul? Was he divorced? Was he um, a widower? He was one of the two because we know Paul was married. Now how do we know Paul was married? Because Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, and in order to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you had to be married. So Saul of Tarsus was he divorced? Was Saul again a, a widower? well we're not really sure but the Bible teachers are kind of split on this. They're about half and half, and most people tend to think he was divorced. And the reason they tend to think that Saul was divorced is because he probably wasn't very easy to get along with. And Saul uh, was pretty egotistical and always climbing the corporate ladder, and his life was kind of about Saul. So whether he was or he wasn't, we do know that he was married because he had to be married to be a member of the Sanhedrin. But we join him now at a time in his life where he's single. And what Paul is talking about then is whether you're married or whether you're single, you embrace Christ. And actually, Paul goes a little further than most. In fact, he's talking about the blessings of singleness. In fact, Paul encourages you, if you're single, to stay single. And Paul would say that you have some benefits, you have some advantages if you're single. Paul would say you have more disposable income <laughs> if, if you're single. He would say you have more disposable time if you're single. Paul, Paul would also say that you have less distractions if, if you're single. You can focus a little bit more on the kingdom of God. You can go places. You can plant churches. There are things that you can do as a single believer that you might not be able to do as a married believer. So it's quite fascinating Uh, Paul is espousing the values of singleness. Let's look at some of these verses. He says some of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and here's verse 8. He says, "...to the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am." So he really kind of pushes this. He sees the value of being single, and again, he says you have certain benefits." Uh, verse 17, only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him. And Paul will say, if you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. And Paul was so concerned that the kingdom of God was coming immediately that he really wanted everybody to lean in and go hog wild to, to build the kingdom of God. So he's pushing people to stay where they're at. This is my rule in all the churches. I want you to be free from anxieties The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things. What's he saying? You have different distractions. How to please his wife and his interests are divided. So now Paul doesn't have a wife, if he ever had one, which we think he did because he was a member of the Sanhedrin, and he doesn't have divided interests. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. In other words, you can do what you want to do, but I have some strong suggestions as to what is best. And I want to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, there are some good reasons why people are single. And there are some good reasons why you may want to be single. In fact, I want to tell you right now, there's about 10, besides what Paul's talking about from a biblical standpoint, there's about 10 practical reasons as to why you might want to be single and to remain single. Here we go. Perhaps you are single because you're determined to be. That's just what you want. It's your desire. You like being single and you want to be single. Perhaps you're single because you prefer this. It's just you're determined it, and to be honest with you, you like you. You're comfortable in your own skin. It's not that you need a man to complete you. It's not that you need a woman to complete you. You you just, you prefer this. You like going where you're going, or you like being able to spend your money where you want to spend your money, or you want to do the things that you want to do. It's it's a privilege that that you have. Maybe you're just not willing to compromise. And so, so far, you're you're just not willing to take that step. Perhaps you're single because you haven't met the right one. It's not that you're going to remain single, but just at this point you haven't found somebody that you're willing to sacrifice to surrender and all that good stuff, okay? Perhaps you're single because you're still hurting from a past relationship. That's a big one, isn't it? That's a big one, isn't it? Okay? Uh, maybe you're not ready to commit. Uh, perhaps people you are dating keep trying to change you. And again, you don't want somebody that's trying to change you. You want somebody that loves you for who you are, not for who they want you to be. That's a big one, isn't it? Perhaps you are single. You might have some unre- unrealistic expectations about love. I think, I think everybody does, but maybe yours are higher than other people's. Okay? So far, no one is at your level. Well, it's probably not true, but you just think it is, so it's okay, so that's it, it, cool. There are probably several people at your level or beyond, but so far, that's kind of like where you're at. You value your independence. That's good. All right, now, I want to talk about God's ideal, and we're going to go to Genesis right now and talk about the ideal, but I want to, I want to, I want to build up to it, because here's what we have a temptation to do. We have a temptation to go, I can't live the ideal, so I'm going to dumb it down to what's real. I I can't live this this ideal that God sets before us, so I'm going to to dumb it down. We will never dumb down the Word of God here. You cannot dumb down the Scriptures. God has an ideal, and obviously we're able to reach that ideal because He won't ever ask you to do something He doesn't equip you to be able to do. And so He gives you His Holy Spirit, so it is possible— But all of us who've been married in the room or you've been married before or you're single again, you know the struggles because ideal and real are two different things. And there's a gap. The ideal is up here that you have to teach. You cannot teach plan B. You cannot teach plan C. We will not teach anything other than God's plan what? Plan A. Say plan A. A. Say "Plan plan A. We're going to teach plan A. But there's always a gap. And the gap is filled with the grace of God. And thank goodness there's God's grace, but we don't dumb it down so that we can live it. We communicate God's ideal, even if we can't live it. But here's God's ideal. Here we go. God's ideal is, is this. This is now bone of my bones. This sub Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother. Now, he's single at this point. Adam is single when he's about to get these instructions, and now he's having to embrace this. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Here's God's ideal. If you've got the app, you can fill all this in. We've got the Harborside app. If you're new, download the Harborside app quickly. And all this is on the app. You've got to have the app. Here we go. God's ideal is to be a partnership between one man and one woman. It, it's a partnership. Now, why do you enter into a partnership in business? Well, you have a partnership in business because the partners coming together can make a better product. Because the partners coming together can make more money. Because the partners coming together can have more business. And so a partner has something you don't have. If they have everything you have, you don't need them. So partnerships meet each other's needs, partnerships filling each other's gaps. And, and, and this is what God's trying to do. Now, I know there are single moms in this room. I know there are single dads in this room. My heart goes out to you, and I know you're doing the best you can and doing a great job. However, that's not God's ideal. And the reason it's not God's ideal is I thought about this when the kids were, like, in middle school. And I thought, my goodness, if Anita get, got hurt or got killed or something happened and, and they just had me, as a dad, these kids would be in therapy for the rest of their life. Okay? I'm totally serious. So every child needs a mother. Every child needs a father. And together, a husband and wife are partners. Now, what this means is God has a mission for every marriage. If you don't know what your mission is, you need to find that out. You need to work on that. Every married couple has a mission. Now, that mission may change. The seasons, the decades may come and go. But every married couple, or if you're going to be married, you find out the mission. God has a mission for your marriage. And the two of you together are better off for God because you're now partners. And partners can produce more. And partners always make a better product. To be a permanent union... I always say this: the best marriage to work on is the one you're in. Okay, does that make sense? Say it with me: the best marriage to work on is the one you're in. I want you to get this: the best one to work on is the one you're in. That's always the right thing to do. Maybe you're maybe you're divorced, and maybe four or five years from now you're going to remarry. The best marriage to work on in four or five years is the. All right, to produce spiritual unity between husband and wife. Now, this is one of the primary purposes that God has created, that the two of you together grow spiritually. The two of you together learn to lean into each other. And so a couple comes, and they'll say, you know, we're having a little bit of struggles or, or a little bit of tension. And I say, are you praying together? Huh? Are, are you praying together? Well, now, Pastor, that's, that's kind of personal, you know, to pray together. Well, are you having sex together? Well, well, Yeah. I said, well, that's kind of personal, isn't it? And then I tell them this. If you pray more, you'll have more sex together. That's just what I read about. I, just, I read that in books. You know, I, just, I hear about that. And part of the goal of your marriage is to have spiritual growth and spiritual discernment together. All right, enough about that. It's to provide for the procreation of children. Obviously, you know that. what he talks about, to positively channel sexual and emotional energy. You do this outside of marriage, it's a train wreck. You do this outside the margins of scripture, it's a dead end. You do any of that outside of God's will, and you're going to have shrapnel, and it's going to blow up in your face. But this is where he puts it inside the confines of a marriage covenant. To serve as a principal building block of society, we know that. We all get that. There's got to be some structure, some foundation, some blocks, some things that hold together. To be a picture then of God's relationship with Israel and of Christ's relationship with the church. We're not going to talk about this today, but this is a whole sermon in and of itself. Christ talks about him being the bridegroom. He talks about the church being the bride, and the bridegroom is coming for his bride. And so we are the bridegroom. Christ is the bride and it really, really matters, okay? So you've seen some really bad marriages, right? Could be your marriage, could be your brother, could be grandma and grandpa, could be your coworker. Everybody in the room has seen some awful marriages. But one of the reasons why you come to church is you want to see something different. You want to see some people Who have some different values. You want to meet some people who've actually made it. You want to meet some people who actually go through the speed bumps or the roadblocks or the hurdles, and they're actually making incredible spiritual progress. And in church, whether it's marriage or finances or kids or communication, whatever it is, in church, you find people here who are ahead of you, who have great opportunities to really bless your life. And if you're humble enough and you ask those questions to the people around you, you will grow and you will grow and you will grow and and you will grow. I want to ask those of you in the room who have been married between 20 years and 29 years. If you've been married between 20 years and 29 years, I'm going to ask you to stand up right now. Would you stand up? Those of you in the room. Between 20 and 29. That's awesome. That is awesome. That is absolutely awesome. All right, you guys be seated. That was 20 to 29. If you've been married between 30 and 39 years, would you stand up? You've been married between 30 and 39 years, would you stand up? That is phenomenal. That is absolutely phenomenal. I, I didn't know, Dean, I didn't know you were that old. Um, that's, that's absolutely 33. 30. How about 40? How about 40 to 49? If you've been married between 40 and 49 years, would you stand up? Wow. Oh, my goodness. Stay standing. That that is is awesome. All right, here's the big one. You've been married 50 years or more. Would you stand up? Anybody in the room been married 50 years or more? (laughs) 60? Oh, my goodness. How about 60? Anybody been married over 60? 60? You guys are married over sixty. How many years, Don? Don, how many years? Sixty-three. How many, how many years y'all been married? Sixty-one. That is awesome. Congratulations. Congratulations. That's amazing, isn't it? And so you come and you go. Wow. Wow. I. I, I can grow. I can learn from them. And you, if you're a man, you ask this man, dude, how did you make it? How did you do this? Um, one of the men in the second service who's been married 57 years, he said, the guy that gets up and tells his wife, I love you every day, he said, he's crazy. He says, there's days he doesn't even like her, <laughs> but he's committed. I thought that was good. That was good, good advice. He said, he's, he's committed. All right, so now I want to talk about why this is so challenging. And the reason we built a wedding chapel, we built a drop-dead gorgeous facility. And by the way, the weddings are coming. We've already done a bunch. and We've got like 38 in front of us, and they're booking, booking, booking like crazy. But the reason, it's awesome. It's awesome. But the vision, the vision was not a drop-dead gorgeous facility. The vision was skills, skills, skills. We're going to teach marital skills and all the premarital counseling, all the premarital equipping. There's four premarital sessions, there's two postmarital sessions. It's all about skills. Because here's what I've learned I've been a pastor for 35 years, I've married 500 people in my life, and not one couple ever got married and said, you know what? Uh, Pastor, I don't think it's going to work out. We're going to give it six weeks or six months or six years. We're going to get a divorce. But today we're going to get married. Nobody ever expects it not to work. You know why it doesn't work? Skills. Skills. You do not have the skills to be married for 60 years when you're 20 or 25 years old. You have very little skills. I was 23. Danita was 20. And I'm telling you, I had... I got a theology degree at age 22. I had very little skills. Here's the challenge. So when you discover some of these things, you're either going to say, yes, I'm going to go forward, or I'm not going to go forward. Here's the difference. When you're single, you look through life with a window. You look out a window. And life looks good to you. Because life's really not as you see it. But it's how you perceive to see it. So you look out through this window and you look good. You're kind, you're gracious, you're patient, you're generous. You know, you're a good guy, you're a great girl, you're a great lady. And then you get married. You know where I'm going, don't you? It's no longer a window. It's now a mirror. And the mirror says back to you, your spouse, the mirror says back to you, You know, that was a little selfish. Or at times, you're not very generous. Or at times, you're not very kind. Or you're not really as hardworking. And and, and husband and wife then become this ricochet back and forth. And now what are you going to do? Now what are you going to do when it's no longer the window you're looking through, but now it's a mirror? And here's what you're going to do. You're going to do one of two things. You're either going to adapt... Or you're going to sabotage the relationship and ultimately betray yourself. It's only one of two things. Now, let's talk about adaptation. Because the only people who are incredibly successful are the people who adapt, 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 adapt. You stopped adapting in whatever field, in school, in business, in life, your practice, you stop adapting, you will stop growing. There is no growth without adapting. And so people who have been married for over 60 years, they've adapted, they've adapted, they've adapted versus the other people, the people who haven't been married that long, or they've gotten several challenges. You've stopped adapting. You've stopped growing. You've stopped the skills. Now, what do you do with that? Now, many people want to get better, but they don't want to pay the price to get better. Everybody wants to get better, but not everybody wants to pay the price to get better. And so when there's a price tag to your skill set, what will you do? I don't know. I have no idea what you will do. Some people repent. Some people humble themselves. Some people ask for help. Some people get support around them. Some people ask people who are mile markers ahead of them, and other people retreat, go back into the shell, become the turtle. I'm not changing. This is who I am. Like it or lump it. Now, is it worth fighting for? Well, God says it is. God says this relationship, this marriage, is absolutely worth fighting for. But how do you know? How do you know? Because every couple has challenges. How do you know if it's worth fighting for? Well, here are some signs. You're tormented with doubts about leaving. I want to leave, but I'm tormented. The strain on the relationship can be attributed to the kids. Can I have an amen on this one? Amen. I've told Danita, we'd have a great marriage if it wasn't for the kids, and one of them's in the room right now, and I love her, you know? But every every couple, kids, do kids take away stress? You can preach my sermon. I'll, I'll let you preach. You still feel respected in the marriage. That's a good sign. Well, it's not going well, but you still feel respected. You both are willing to put in the work. Again, it might be a train wreck, but we're going to work on this. Signs your marriage is worth saving. You can't picture your life without each other. The spark is gone, but you think you can bring it back. spark kind of comes and goes from time to time. But can we get it back? Your problems are not specific to the relationship. Maybe there's legal problems. Maybe there's in-law problems. Maybe there's business problems. Maybe there's housing problems. Maybe maybe what's going on around you is causing some real challenges in in your life. You still enjoy spending time together. That's a really good sign. It's not going well, but, but I still like her. It's not going well, but I still want to hang out with him. At some point in the marriage, you had it. I like that. At some point, you had it. And if you had it, you can get it back again. You can get it again. Now, this is a big deal to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says exactly what God was saying to Adam in Genesis chapter 2. Haven't you read, he replied, this is Jesus. That at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole gender thing today, but this says it right here. And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. There's now a partnership. There's now a permanence. There's now all those things that we talked about. They're no longer two, but now they're one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So, where do you start? You go, well, I'm single and I like being single, and I want to be single for the rest of my life. Okay, Paul would say that's great, but you're going to have people around you who are going to need to hear these next five suggestions. You're going to have people that are in your family, in your workforce, in your neighborhood, that absolutely need to know these next five things. So even if you're single, uh, I'm assuming most of you guys are single, you're in high school, right? All right, you guys single, all of you? All right, that's good. Take notes. I want you to, On the app, take notes or, or your, your journals. Take notes because this is going to make a lot more sense to you. And for those of you that are married, it's absolutely going to make sense to you. Here's the first one. My first suggestion is this. It's knowing. It's knowing. Where do I start? It's called knowing. Can you be a student of your spouse your entire life? Are you going to be the professor or are you going to be the investigator? Big difference. Big difference between being the professor, you have all the answers, or the investigator, you were trying to find something wrong with him or find something wrong with her. Well, what if you were the, the student? Been married 33 years. Don't fully have the woman figured out yet. Okay? And it's absolutely fun to be a student of my wife. So, yesterday morning, um, we're getting ready to go ride bicycles and we load them up on the SUV and she's gonna drive the SUV. And one of Ethan's friends had a car parked in our driveway, and so he, he, he actually is, lives over by the causeway, really close to Frenchies over there. So, I said, I'll take the car back. So, Danita's following me. I'm in this l- kind of a little red car. She's in her SUV with the bicycles on the back, and we're going on Curlew. And we're on Curlew going west. And right before we get to U.S. 19, so are you with me where I'm going? I'm going west on U.S. 19. So we're going like t- toward Honeymoon Island. So before we get to U.S. 19, I feel something on the back of my ear. Something jumps the back seat of this car onto my left ear, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm trying to get this thing off my ear, and it is a frog. a frog. <laughs> a frog has jumped on the back of my ear, and it starts, then I feel moisture. It starts urinating (laughs) on my ear, and all this is going down my neck, down my back, and I'm freaking out. I mean, I'm literally going, and I jerk the car, you know, and I'm at a busy intersection. The light turns red, and um, I get out of the car. I go back to Danita. I do this at stoplights, and she said, what are you doing? I said, you're not going to believe this, but a frog, frog's peeing on me. And I said, you know, I I got, she just starts laughing. She can't stop laughing, all right? So then she calls Erica, our oldest, and now she's distracted and she loses me. She starts following another red car. And this other red car, we're going way past Frenchie's, this other red car turns the block before Frenchie's she thinks I'm lost. She starts blowing the horn at this little red car. This little red car goes into Frenchies, into the parking lot, and she's pinned the car into Frenchies. The car can't get back. She's blowing on the horn at this car going, I pull up right beside her. I go, and she's like, oh, my gosh, she can't, she can't believe it, you know. Now, if you're that little red car and you're that lady that we pinned in the Frenchies, coffee and donuts are on me for life, okay? <laughs> for life. But here's what I know about my wife. In 33 years, she's never laughed with me. She always laughs at me. <laughs> I just got to man up to that. That's just the way it is. It'll, ne- it'll never change. You have to know your spouse. What, what if you are a student of your spouse? What if you're... Don't be the, the private investigator. Don't, don't be the professor. What, what if you're a student? My goodness, I don't think like that. How did she, how did she get there? My gosh, I don't think like that. How did he, how did he arrive at that conclusion? The next one that's just incredibly important, and this may be the most important one, is listening. You've never taken a class on listening. You've taken a class on chemistry, you've taken a class on algebra, you've taken a class on communication, you've taken all kinds of classes in your life, you've never had one class on listening. I had lunch this past Thursday with one of our leaders, one of our newer leaders of our church, and we're at Bantai Restaurant, and he's a real type A personality, and type A's like me are not good listeners. I was amazed that he would ask a question and then just listen. An incredibly great listener. It's one of the reasons why he has been so successful in business. Phenomenal listener. Now, just just think about how good of a listener you are or you aren't. How long is it before you check out? How long do you listen to your spouse before, in your mind, where's the remote? The bucks are on TV. I mean, how long before you're, you're gone you know, got to go dress shopping. Whatever it is, this is like one of the most important skills. And again, after all these years and after all the mistakes that I've made with marriage, I go back and I'll say, "I heard you, but I don't think I understood you, I, honey. I can repeat every word you just said, but I, I'm not really sure what you meant. What did you mean by that? Can, can you just extrapolate that for just a just take that." And paint me a picture. I'm not sure I understood. Boy, you just wouldn't believe the difference that makes. Because the first round, the first run through, I didn't know what she meant at all by it. I thought I did. In fact, sometimes she'll say, well, what did you hear me say? And I'll say it. And she says, how would you get that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm male. I don't know. It just comes natural. How good of a listener are you? Try it this afternoon. How long can you go before you check out? another skill is definitely waiting. Why is this so important? Because you're not going to be at the same level all the time. You're not going to be at the same place. Two couples rarely go through 60 years where they're both at the same place at the same time for 60 years. So why not wait? Why not wait on him to grow up? Why not wait on her to grow up? Why not wait on her to understand this? Why not wait on him to get this concept? Why not take some classes together in different areas and together we kind of like arrive at the same part of the finish line? Why not approach this from not the microwave but the crockpot approach? You you don't wait on each other, you're going to have trouble because you will rarely both be at the same place at the same time in all areas. In some areas, ladies, he will be ahead of you in most areas, ladies, you will be ahead of him, all right? I, I, but, but you will not be at the same place at the same time. And the next two are just no-brainers. You've got to forgive. There's no way you, can't, you can not go through 40, 50, 60 years without, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I made a mistake, please, please forgive me. And, and for you to forgive. Now, why, why wouldn't you forgive? The only reason you wouldn't forgive is arrogance and pride you've been forgiven who are you not to forgive you've been forgiven of all your heinous list of sins by the master the master has forgiven you of everything you've ever said thought or did why wouldn't you forgive him why wouldn't you forgive her and then the last one is just basically we just we just keep growing we just keep growing And that comes back to adapting again. I just keep growing. I keep making decisions to go forward. I keep making decisions that I'm going to have a better marriage by being a better married partner. Now, if you've done this, you've missed the whole point. If you're a guy and you're thinking about where she needs to change and she needs to grow, you've missed it. If you're the lady, And you're thinking about where he needs to grow, where he needs, you've missed it. The only person you can change in this marriage is who? Is yourself. We we tell this story. We've married 33 years. I don't think I've changed Anita one bit in 33 years. But man, has she changed. And she will tell you that she hasn't changed. Just recently, I heard her tell somebody, I haven't changed Kurt. Kurt's basically the same. DNA, but I haven't changed him one bit in 33 years. So we stopped trying to change each other, and we started asking God to change each other. We started asking the Holy Spirit to change me and to change her and to change her and to change me. And guess what? Holy Spirit's the best counselor in this room. There's no finer counselor in this room than the Holy Spirit. The wisest, the smartest, the most perfect counselor that there is. You see, if you don't do this, you're going to go to somebody and spend a whole lot of money and sit before them, and they're going to tell you how to, how to talk to each other. Wouldn't it be a whole lot smarter and cheaper to do it on your own? Somebody that's been there and done that is going to tell you how to do some of this, and those are the five most essential pieces of your growth that you could ever imagine. So I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front right now. And if you are single or if you're married, I want you to stand up. Okay? And our prayer partners want to receive you today if you want to give your life to Christ. It's always a place to begin. If you're single, if you're married, you always begin with Christ. You give your life to Jesus. Maybe today there's some very specific things that you want to pray for. Maybe it's not even your marriage. You want to pray for somebody else's marriage. Maybe you're single and, and your parents are having a tough time in their marriage and you want to come down and be prayed for and be prayed over for your parents. Our prayer partners are down here today. They want to pray with you, pray for you, and they will pray over you. Lean in to Jesus. You are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. And we worship you today. Lord, for everyone that's single in this room, let them embrace their singleness. Let them embrace the fact that you have given them a grand opportunity to impact the king's people wherever they live and wherever they work and whatever they do. And so, Father God, for all the single people in this room, I don't know if it's your will for them to be married in the future or not. And some are in this room that have lost spouses that will never remarry. So bless them and let them lean in and embrace their singleness and serve you so faithfully. And for those in the room that are are married or they're about to get married, I pray that you will help us to develop skills. These, These skills of knowing, listening, waiting, forgiving, and growing Grow us. Grow us individually. Grow us together because you've got a mission for every married couple in this room. To your glory and to your honor, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.